Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you engage us, that you, you are looking to us to, to, to manifest your life in this world, to bring light in darkness through the lives that we live so that you can shine the light in the world and magnify and glorify yourself. And so, Lord, this morning, we look to you as you've engaged us. We lean in now to hear from you, not just simply to gather information, but that we might obey that which you place before us so that your word can be made flesh in us that others might see it and glorify you who are in heaven. Lord, I ask that you would grant us all ears to hear that which you're saying. Help me that I can be faithful, Lord, to declare and to speak not only your word, but to convey your heart as well, so that in both the hearing and the declaring of your word, you would be glorified. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I'm going to give you kind of the punchline on the front end, and then we're going to go back, and then, I'll, then we'll fill it in later on. Um, but I want to talk about this notion of uh, uh, being unhindered, faith that is set free. Um, boy, there's more. Let me just give you the punchline. I want to real quickly read through four passages. Not going to comment a whole lot. I'm just going to read them and then I'll make some comments on the end. But that's the end of the story and it's the encouragement for you. Then I want to take a little different route into how we can apply that this morning. So um, uh, these are not, by the way, overheads. So uh, <laughs> I hope you have your Bible with you. Or if you're taking notes, just take notes and then go back and, and read. All right. Um, but I want to talk about this notion of forgiveness and just how important this is. That's the punchline. It's just how important this is. So if you're taking notes, I'll give you the references um, and you can go back and take a look. First of all, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30, uh, verse 31 says, Paul writes, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgiving each other just as Christ, God in Christ has also forgiven you. Second, Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. By the way, that was Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. And forgive us our debts. We all recognize that, don't we? Where's that from? Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whoa. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another, Paul writes, and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. 
fourth passage, Matthew chapter 18, a little longer one in this case, uh, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Here's a parable now. Uh, who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, How patient with, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Verse 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denaria, denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. Verse 29. So the, his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. Verse 31. So when the fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you. Verse 34. And his Lord moved with anger. Look at the response that he had to that. Moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. If you have your Bible open, underline that word, torturers or tormentors. Handed him over to the torturers until he should pay all that was owed him. Verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is Jesus talking. Four reasons why you need to forgive. First of all, because God in Christ forgave us. When you consider for a perfect God, how great is your sin against him? Let's not think about the real big stuff. Even the little things for a perfect God, how big is that against him? Okay. So number one reason to forgive, because he in Christ forgave us. Number two reason we need to forgive is that if we don't forgive others, then our Father won't forgive us. Is that a scary thought? I don't forgive others. You know, what lies ahead if you don't forgive me? If, if God, I have to appear before you and there is no forgiveness. Okay. That a good enough reason? Reason number three. Colossians. Paul writes, Holy Spirit inspires. Forgiving each other 
Whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You realize that's not a suggestion. That's a command. That's an imperative. You are commanded. So if I don't forgive, what is that? That's disobedience. Because I'm commanded to do that. Good enough reason? And then the fourth. I won't go through that whole passage again. But I want to go to that little part in verse 34. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive his brother from your heart. The Bible doesn't, doesn't define what the torturers means or who the tormentors are. But it's not something that I think I want to find out. Lord, what do you mean by torturers and tormentors? Those aren't pretty words. I really don't want to find out what that means. Let me give you a little bit of an idea of what that could look like. I mean, it, there's a whole spectrum of things that that could be. But let's just consider for a, a moment. Torturers, tormentors, those who make life of the wretched as miserable as possible by either place or imprisonment, position of your body, diet, bed, etc., if not by instruments of pain. All of that stuff. You don't forgive, God turns you over to the torturers. But you have an added problem there because we're talking, remember, about being hindered. Hindered. You think that that consequence becomes a hindrance to you in moving forward? Well, now I got to deal with it. It's one thing to have to deal with all of this other stuff. Um, <laughs> it's another thing to say, God, you're the one that now I have to get through. You've got this thing in front of me that I got to work through. So four reasons, four reasons. God forgave us. We don't want to have to face what's ahead. We're commanded, and then there are the tormentors. So, so those, are, those are really good reasons, and there are more. But I don't have time this morning to go into more, but I think, you know, sufficient to say. So now, we got to deal with the issue of, of forgiveness. But remember, our, our, our overarching issue is this, that we're hindered. Our faith is hindered. So I want to go back to something that Pastor Michelle said two weeks ago. She gave us a definition of hindered. And I just, for the sake of, of bringing us back to that, I just wanted to share that with you again. Hindered, unhindered, able or allowed to happen or continue without being slowed or stopped. Unhindered, that I'm able to move forward and allow things to happen without being Resisted, slowed, or stopped. Unhindered. Unforgiveness creates issues that slow us down, that can stop us. So that was the punchline. I want to take a little different spin on this thing this morning. And I want to look at a case study that's in the Bible. So, <laughs> I feel like Lucy in Peanuts, who had the little sign, the doctor is in, five cents. 
So let's take a look at this case study. We're going to spend a good amount of time in Genesis um, chapter 37. And we're going to look at Joseph. Now, I've got a little bit of time. I don't have a lot of time. I've, some of these are things that I've taken two hours to talk about before. I don't have two hours today. So we're going to convince all, condense all of this in a real small space. But, but it's a great study for us to understand and to see ourselves and how we need to deal with some of these things that come up in life. Most of you are familiar with that. So uh, I'm just going to jump right in and we're going to read through all of this. Genesis chapter 37, verses 2 through 4. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. By the way, 17 years of age. Underscore that if you underline that if you've got your Bible. Um, how many of you are pretty close to 17 years old? Okay. We've got, well, by close, I mean within, within five or 10 years of 17. Five or 10 years of 17 years. Okay, all right. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm about 60 years from 17. I'm close. No. All right. But it's important to understand because the event that took place that we're reading about happened early in his life. He's 17 years old. For those of you who are within 10 years of that, it's important to note that because there are some things that God put in play that caused him to be able to deal with these issues all the way down. And, and if you're not close to 17, I'll say this to you. You need to have some of these things that have gone on in your life because if you don't, you have no frame of reference for the issues that you're going to have to forgive and you're going to have to deal with. And I'll, I'll explain what that means in a minute. Okay. Joseph, when 17 years of age, which pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. If you don't remember who those people are, Zil, uh, um, Bilhah was Rachel's handmaiden. Zilpah was Leah's handmaiden. Okay. So, so here Jacob had, one, had children by four women. Remember that whole story? Rachel, he loved. She was barren. Okay? Leah, not so much love, but she was a fertile myrtle. Okay? So, so Rachel, in order to have baby, said, take my handmaiden and buy her. And then when Leah saw that, then gave, her, gave him her handmaiden, Zillah, and said, now, you have babies by her. So you've got this competition going on between these sisters. And there's this bad blood, especially because Leah's really the one you feel for her. You know, she's the one that can have kids, but he didn't want her. And so there is this stuff that goes on between Leah and Rachel. And I'm bringing that up because you need to see how important that was. This is a case study. I want, we're going to take a little bit of look at the family history in this situation because we all got those. Okay. Now, and Joseph brought back, so he's 17 years old. 
pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them. Every family has an informant. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Also, Joseph is the son of Rachel. Remember, Rachel was the one that he loved, and she was barren, so this is a special boy because this came out of the one that I really, really loved. Okay. So, brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream, which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Skip down a little bit. Well, then he tells his, brother, his father about the same thing. And his, and his daddy's questioning, is this really right? Is this going to happen to you? Now, uh, then down in verse 11, says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. The dream is important because the dream is God's way of communicating purpose. Purpose. You don't figure out your purpose by analyzing and evaluating. You figure out or you find out your purpose because God is the one who lets you know your purpose. Paul says that I press in to lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Every one of us sitting here has a that. You have a purpose. The reason that I mention that, he was, he was in his youth. He realized that. Some of us are old and we still don't know that. My question is simply this. It may be rhetorical, but you need to consider it. How will I fulfill my purpose if I don't know what it is? How will I know if I've done it? Okay. That, I'll give that to you for free and then we'll just go on. So now, you, you've got, in looking at this situation, you've got a bad family situation. His relationship with his brothers is bad right from the start. Why? Because, because um, you've got all of this stuff that's gone on prior to that in the family history. You've got Rachel against Leah. You've got, Ra- you've got Leah who's got this grudge against Rachel because Rachel is the one that he loves. Then you've got Rachel who's jealous against Leah because she's got babies and I don't. So you've got all of this stuff that's already in the family dynamic that's going on. All of this dysfunction that's taken place. And it's interesting because when you take a look at uh, verse 2, Where was Joseph? 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Bilhah and and Zilpah were the handmaidens. Why wasn't Joseph 
Remember, the two principals here were Rachel and Leah. Why wasn't he with the other groups? These are the lesser ones, the secondary ones. Could be a few things that were going on. Could have been for his own protection. And we'll see why in a minute. But keep in mind, there was that issue between Leah and Rachel, because you're going to see it again. The other thing that complicated all of that was that he brought back a bad report about his brothers to their father. He was the informant. We used to, when we were kids, some of you older ones, you'll remember this, we talk about people being tattletales, the snitch. So he's really endeared because he brought back a bad report. That's the second thing. You got this bad blood, and then he brings back this report. Third issue is that he's favored. Why is he favored? Because this was from the woman that I really loved. And this one was the one that was born in my old age. It's kind of bad when parents have a favorite. The thing that was clear was that Joseph was Jacob's favorite, but he wasn't his brother's favorite. And to make matters worse, his brothers knew it. They knew it. One of the ways they knew it, that multicolored tunic. Boy, I tell you, I mean, he wears this thing. None of the rest of them dressed like that, but Joseph dressed like that. So you've got all of this now that's at work. He's got this very colored tunic. He's the father's favorite son. He's not, as a matter of fact, he's son number 11. 11. Now, what do we know about Hebrew families? Who's the honored one? The firstborn. He ain't even close to the firstborn. He's number 11. So, so all of the rules are broken for this kid right now. So all of his brothers are looking at him, and they really don't like him. As a matter of fact, verse 4, it actually said, so they hated him. They hated him so much that they couldn't speak kindly to him. They verbally abused him. They couldn't speak a kind word. So now, all of a sudden, this dysfunction is starting to manifest. You ever have people that just say mean things to you? They abuse you very verbally? How do you feel about that? You've ever, any of you been wounded by things that people have said to you? Abused, damaged, injured by folks, things that folks have said? Well, there you go. There you go. So... They couldn't speak to him kindly. Then he has this confounded dream. And he makes the mistake, maybe it wasn't a mistake, of sharing the dream with his brothers. How do you feel when somebody you really don't like starts bringing you good news about themselves? Make you feel real warm and fuzzy and want to just hug them and say yes? Make you want to bless them with a brick? 
So he has this dream, and in the dream, it's very clear. We're, we're, we're in the field, and, and our sheaves are there, and mine is erect, and yours are bending down the mine. And so all of a sudden is, hey, guys, I'm here to lead you. The one that they don't like. And I want you to, I'm going through this because I want you to see the dynamics of what happens and how it goes from that to get much worse in moving toward purposes because how he responds becomes an important thing that we need to see and understand. So, so they couldn't speak kind of, then he tells them about the dream. And in verse five, because of the dream, what does it say? They hated him even more. We used to have a thing with some of our friends, and we say it with our grandkids sometimes, you know, I love you, and you say, I love you, I love you more, so you're out doing it, but this isn't that, this isn't that at all, it's like they hated him, and then they hated him, the Bible says, even more. So he's got a bad situation. There's this issue of leadership over them. Now, remember what we said about the pecking order and who really has the place of honor. This is number one in Jewish culture that has that, has that place of honor. But now this is number 11 that's saying, I'm here, guys. It's me. So they really are upset with this. And in verse 8. What does it say? Then his brother said to him, are you really going to reign over us? They were resentful of that. They were resistant to that. Or are we really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more. So they hate him. They can't speak kindly to him. They hate him even more. Then they hate him even more. Why do they hate him? For his dreams and his words is what the Bible says. Two issues. Purpose. The dream was purpose. There are some people who don't like you, resentful, jealous because of what you do and what you represent. I wish I could paint a nice picture that life is really nice and easy, but it ain't. There are people who the more they know of you, the more they don't like you. That was a revelation to me when I hit about 40 years old, that there really are people that just don't like you. And they don't want to be kind to you. And they will say things and do things that are harmful, injurious, that will wound you and all kinds of... And, and, and the thing is, you have to work through all of that. So that's the situation here with these guys. All of this stuff. So they were resentful because of who he was. They were resentful because he also shared that with them. So you've got a bad relationship. They hate him. There's this resentment, and then there's this jealousy. Then, and that's all basically inward stuff with a few verbal manifestations. It says that out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. You can always tell what's in people's heart. Just listen to what they say. Just listen to what they say. By the same way, you need to be careful what's coming out of your heart. If you've got resentments and bitterness, guess where it's going to come out eventually? Okay. So 
So now you've got these words, and you've got this intensifying hatred. Three different times. They hate him, then they hate him even more, then they hate him even more. So this is a growing thing that's going on. This is a hatred that's deepening, and it's around God's purposes, and it's around uh, the things that were said. You have an enemy who hates you because of what you represent. And let me tell you something. He's not averse to using people unwittingly to hinder and to accuse and to abuse and to wound you. And, and he will send folks, and they, for, for the best of motivations and reasons, they'll say stuff, and it'll cut you to the quick. It will hurt you. It'll offend you. It'll wound you. It'll have all kinds of effects on you. Why? Because what he wants to do is to stop you. That's what was going on here. And so, so you've got this picture of this inward thing that's brewing. Then it becomes even worse. Daddy decides that the boys need to go out and shepherd his flocks. So he sends them out, and they go from Hebron to Shechem. So what does he do? And who's not with him? Joseph's not with him. So he sends Joseph. Remember who Joseph was now? He's the informant. He sends Joseph, go and check on the welfare of your brothers and the flocks. And he's genuinely concerned. I looked it up because, because Shechem is about 50 miles from Hebron. So that's not a short distance. This is 50 miles, and, and they're not out taking a power walk, okay? They're, they've got flocks of sheep, so this takes some time. They're gone a while. He's worried about them, so he sends out Jacob. Uh, he sends out Joseph to check on them. Joseph goes out. He can't find him. He's at Shechem. And then this guy sees him, and he asks him about his brother. He said, oh, yeah, I heard them. They've gone up to Dothan. Dothan is another 15 miles away, 65 miles from where they were. He goes to check on his brothers. They see him from a distance. Genesis 37, verse 17. Then the man said, they have moved from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When they saw him, they devised a plot. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. How are we going to do it? We'll throw him in a pit. And the cold and hunger, he'll just simply die there. Then we'll lie to daddy and we'll say, wild beasts got him. Reuben, the oldest brother, in, in a heart of compassion said, you know, after all, he is our brother. Let's not let that happen to him. So what they do, they put him in a pit and they have an idea. They see some Ishmaelites. Remember who Ishmael was? Abram's presumption. That was his mistake. The Ishmaelites are traitors. I'm telling you the story because it's just, I, 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 I want to kind of show you 
what happened in here so that you understand, and it won't take me very long to finish this. But he sees the Ishmael, they see the Ishmaelites, and they decide, let's not put him in the pit, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And so that's what they do. They sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, I believe it's for 20 shekels. The Ishmaelites, who are Abraham's mistake and sin, end up taking him where? To Egypt. He goes to Egypt and they sell him to who? Potiphar. And he becomes now a slave. Well, not just a servant. He's a slave that's there. He has this dream, purpose of God, but the road takes him through bad brothers. The road takes him to being sold. The road takes him into slavery. The road then, and and and. In slavery, while he's in slavery, Potiphar's wife has eyes for him because he's a handsome guy. So she tries to hit on him. He resists that to his credit. And then what happens? She accuses him of rape. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused of rape, and as a result of that, put in jail. I'll stop the narrative there. So you see a bad family situation that got worse. I want to read a passage to you because I want you to understand why it was so important that he had to forgive and why he was able to do that. In the 105th Psalm, it says, this is a chronicling of, of Israel's journey. 105th Psalm, verse 17 says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters, for he himself was laid in irons until the time that his word, his word, God's came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, Joseph, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princes at will that he might teach his elders' wisdom. That's 105th Psalm, verses 17 through 22. But the thing that I want to point out is that at the very beginning it says, he sent a man before them, Joseph. Do you know who the he is right there? God is. The Lord was the one who sent him. There are two places in Genesis 45 and in Genesis 50 his brothers, after he's ascended, his brothers realize who he is. They're terrified now. But this is what Joseph says to his brothers. I am Joseph in Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Genesis 45, verse 5, verse 4. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. Verse 8, now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land. You sent me here, but it wasn't you, it was God. Then when Jacob dies, they're really terrified because now daddy's not here to protect us. So they make up a lie. Dad said, for you to forgive us for the way we sinned against you. His, his response was an interesting one. Am I in the place of God? He wasn't even going to deal with their stuff. 
They were wrong, but he wasn't dealing with how, what they were wrong about. What he said was, what you intended for me, God meant it for good, that it may accomplish this very thing. I told you the punchline at the very beginning was this issue of forgiveness. The way he was able to move forward through all of that, when he went through every one of those things that we outlined, you know what it says? And God was with him in Potiphar's house. And God was with him in the jail. In every one of those, where did he keep his eye? He didn't keep his eye on the people or the circumstances that were around him. In every one of them, he's responding to God. Remember what I said? It's not so much what happens to you or the circumstances that you face, but how you respond. He kept his eyes on God. And so as a result, God prospered him. And in every case, he prospered him. He moved right through that stuff unhindered. Because he understood and he saw what God was doing. He acknowledged God. God did this. When you said what you did against me, God was the one who would vindicate me. I wasn't going to tell this, and it's a little delicate, but I'll, I'll say this kind of in closing, and I, and I, and I have to kind of censor it a little bit. I worked for a guy who was really of low character. And he had, he was just a, a, an ungodly man. And I happened to stay at work late one evening and I was in the office and, and happened to walk past this guy. And there were a lot of other circumstances that were going on. But I walked past this guy. This was in Michigan. And he kicked at me and called me a dumb and invoked the N-word. And at the moment he said that, the Holy Spirit spoke something to me. That Jesus, when he was reviled, didn't revile back, but entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. So rather than get upset by it, I just went on. The end of that story was, I was there the day they shut that guy's business down. I was there when the people from, uh, from the police department and the city authorities came and padlock the door. So Lord, just let me see that. And I thought, Lord, <laughs> how kind of you. I didn't need to press my case. And it didn't change how I did my job. The issue was, Lord, I need to respond to you well in this thing. Yeah, you can come up. Um, in Joseph's story, in the middle of all of that, Joseph has two children. And, and I'll say this in closing because it's, it's a practical way for you to understand what he did. He had two children through his wife who was Egyptian and whose father was an Egyptian priest. But his two sons were Manasseh and Ephraim. This is what the word says. He named the firstborn Manasseh for, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Isn't that interesting? All that had gone on before, God made me forget. The second son was named Ephraim, says, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He wasn't looking backward. He was looking at what God is doing now and moving forward.
issue of forgiveness is so important that you need to understand when offense and abuse and violence and all kinds of other things take place, it's not so much a matter of what's going on with you. Forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is for you. Lord, I release this. There's an IOU because of what they said, because of what they did. You owe me. You did this against me. Forgiveness says of my own choice, I'm going to take the IOU and I tear it up. doesn't matter how I feel about it. Because God says I, gotta, I tear it up and I go on. He forgot the abuse that preceded all of that. Didn't hold it against his brothers at all. Blessed them as a matter of fact. Prosper and move forward. Tear up the IOU. Doesn't matter how small or how great. Don't look at what has taken place and trust yourself because God, after all, is redemptive. He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are walking in his purposes. He doesn't actually make the same promise if you're not walking in his purposes. So it makes a difference. There are those of you who are here today who have been in big ways and in little ways, abused, offended, wounded, and you got some IOUs in your pocket. I don't want you just to hear a story. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to sit for a moment and think through, do I have any IOUs? And if you do, make a choice. Tear them up. Forgive. What was meant for evil, God will work it for good. Especially do it before the next time you take communion. But I'm asking you to do it today. So just bow your head. In the quietness of where you sit, take inventory. Do I have any IOUs that I need to tear up? If there are, then do that. Make a choice. Where you sit today, choose to 